welcome back to another episode of Hail Saturn. If you tuned in last week, you heard me talk about the first three houses in astrology, and today we will be continuing with houses four, five, and six, the second quadrant of the chart. We will be discussing the four quadrants and what you have to look forward to over the next few episodes. But before we dive into all that, I think we need to discuss something a little bit more topical, the eclipse season at hand. Yes, it's eclipse season again. I know it feels like it was just yesterday that we were talking about the May eclipses at 29 degrees Aries and 14 degrees Scorpio. Eclipse season comes every six months, like clockwork, so oh, wouldn't you look at the time. Now, good news for my Scorpio and Taurus sweeties. This will be the last eclipse in the series. Eclipse seasons happen every six months for about six weeks. They repeat along a sign axis for about 18 months, so the periodic six-month eclipses will happen in the same two signs for about 18 months before moving along in the cycle. Eclipses follow the nodes, the north and south nodes, so whatever area of life the node is pointing to and encouraging expansion or release within, we see eclipses come along on a regular basis to kind of speed up those efforts to induce releases and open up opportunities for advancement within the sign and house indicated. It's kind of a collective karmic destination point that moves throughout the zodiac on an 18-year cycle. So the nodes will traverse the entire 360-degree zodiac every 18 years and return to the same point every 18 years. They'll make an opposition to that point every 9 years. And so every 9 years or so, we see key events take place and impact certain signs of the zodiac and therefore certain people who have key placements like the luminaries or key angles in those signs. So for example, if you don't have any planets in Scorpio or Taurus and your rising is not in one of the fixed signs, most likely you will be relatively unaffected in your personal life and development by this particular eclipse or your nodes. Also, that's actually really, really important. The eclipse cycles and seasons that will be most impactful to you on a personal level are the ones that occur in the sign of your sun, moon, your north or south node, or one of your key angles, particularly ascendant and midheaven. The four key angles, which divide the four quadrants, so we're going to come back to this concept a little bit later on in this episode, are the ascendant, the imam koali at the bottom of the chart, the descendant opposite to the ascendant on the right-hand side of the chart, and the midheaven at the very top. So those four angles, the sun, the moon, and the nodes are really the key placements that you want to check in your own chart to see if this eclipse season or the next one, what have you, is going to be affecting you. Now, if you have other planets in these signs, you might see some effects related to what that planet kind of does in your chart and, you know, what else it's involved with within your own unique chart pattern. But just to keep it simple, we'll stick mainly to the luminaries, the key angles, and the nodes. 
So all that info basically to say that not every eclipse impacts every person. Not every eclipse season is going to be this monumental tower moment where things crumble and space in your life emerges through loss, which is unfortunately how eclipses do manifest a lot of the time when they do impact us, although it's not always on such a tangible material level where you can really see what's crumbling. Sometimes the eclipse can manifest more as an internal revelatory experience or moment that you have with yourself where you realize that some aspect of your life or some person in your life, some relationship or, you know, job or even a hobby, just something that's like taking up space in your life, taking energy, taking up a part of your consciousness. Sometimes the eclipse can be like a moment of clarity that you have where you realize that something is dragging you down more than it's lifting you up and that a cord of some kind, an attachment of some kind needs to be cut and let go of. Sometimes it can just be an attitude that you have, you know, not the relationship itself, but an attitude you have or a dynamic that you're entertaining. But eclipses show us when something is off and it's no longer serving our best interest and we'd be better off letting it go to make space for something that's more aligned with who we are now and who we're going to become. And the eclipse is more than an opportunity for that. It is an inciting factor. I think because it's, you know, the sun and the moon, the two luminaries, the planetary bodies that are the closest to us, the most visible to us, the most important in our lives, both the sun and the moon play an absolutely crucial role in all of our lives. And we're so sensitive to their emotions. I mean, you can think of the lunar cycle and how sensitive we all are to the amount of light that we get at night and what that means on a practical and real level for us. And I'm sure many of us have sensed the heightened energy that we can all pick up around the full moon and heard stories about full moon happenings. You know, it's more than just legend. It's There's something real behind it that you can actually pick up on with your eyes and see. More light gives more energy and leads to more activity and, you know, heightened states of awareness around the full moon. Whereas the new moon, no light, it drives us to turn inward, to stay inside, to take care of ourselves, to imagine what we can do in the near future when we do have more light and energy available to us, which is why it's a great time for setting intentions. And the full moon you can think of as like a harvest period where you can clearly see the manifestations and the outcome of your efforts. And the sun, of course, the leader of the seasons, you know, it's October now, the equinox is well past and the sun is setting earlier and earlier, which for most of us, less light means less energy, less time in the day to get things done outside, a calling to turn inward, to spend time at home, to hibernate, to cook warming foods and try to make up for the heat and light that we're losing from the lessening of sun every day. Both of the luminaries affect us greatly on a real, practical, tangible level. And so it's not that surprising that when they come together, such as on a new moon or a full moon, and then when they come together during an eclipse, which is like a supercharged new moon and supercharged full moon, and when those supercharged full and new moons impact our personal placements, like our sun and moon, or our nodes, or one of our four main angles, that we see the most real 
palpable, tangible manifestations of these types of transits as opposed to some of the other planetary transits. You know, and while I'll usually say that I and I think most other astrologers don't claim that the planets make things happen or that they are somehow empowered energetic bodies that have actual influence over our lives, but they act as kind of hands on a divine timepiece that tells us what celestial time it is and what energies we have available to work with. Yeah, you may remember when we first started talking about all this stuff, I said there's definitely a leap of faith required to study astrology or practice it on any level. And that I personally think of it as, yeah, a divine tool and gift from God that we can use to apply logic to our spiritual lives and evolution. And that like through doing that, we can engage in a reflection process that allows us to achieve a much deeper, more profound, more effective level of spiritual analysis and have a greater impact on our own spiritual growth over the course of this lifetime that we've been given. So yeah. The whole thing is like so mysterious and intangible and esoteric, but I think that the lunar cycle is where, you know, the average person can really tap in and feel what goes on with these kinds of celestial cycles and how they manifest in our own little lives. And major lunations like eclipses have such a huge felt impact that I think it's a great opportunity to get in touch with what astrology can help us tap into. And I also think just as like an emotional coping mechanism because eclipses do tend to remove things from our lives that are spiritual blocks, but they don't always feel that way. Sometimes they feel like things that we love and are attached to or, you know, attitudes that we're leaning on as a crutch to get by. Life is hard and, you know, never feels good to have something ended or taken away from you. And so I think that being aware of eclipse energies and aware of when they are and are not impacting you can really help you to cope with whatever does happen in your life at the time. And personally, in my experience with all transits, I find that studying the chart and being aware of what they are, what they signify and what they mean in your life can actually help lessen the impact that they have because it's like you have that awareness and if you're going with the program, then you know you tend to run up against less tension because it's like you're already in the flow of what is meant to be and in the flow of acceptance of that and working constructively with it. So it's like you're less likely to cause problems in your own life at these sensitive times. If you're aware of what the problem areas of life are and what the potential problems can be. So it's like, yeah, like let me try to give kind of a real example here because this particularly I think is a tough year for the type of things that I'm talking about in terms of like relationships and things that you're attached to being removed from your life so that new things can come in. I've heard in, you know, the pop culture zeitgeist that 2023 is being called the year of the breakup because so many celebrity couples are breaking up or getting divorced. And I definitely see that there's some astrological truth to that statement, you know, that's backing up this trend. And it's that we had a Venus retrograde this summer, which is one of the single most difficult transits in existence and definitely for relationships, Venus being the ruler of relationships. And then the eclipse seasons this year happening in both of the Venus world signs, Taurus and Libra. 
So we're having to review, revise, rework, recommit to everything having to do with Venus, our friendships, relationships, our attitude towards love, our ideal of beauty, what we value, what we find to be beautiful, gracious, what we want more of. All of us went through a period of deep reflection when Venus retrograded this summer. And perhaps in May, you can think back and remember an event that took place that maybe sparked something for you like oh this is not feeling right with this person or you know with this source of income I have something is kind of off or in my partnership something's happened that made me aware of a dynamic that's not working so that would be tied to the last eclipse season you know and maybe something came of it maybe it was just a realization that you had We had two eclipses in the last season, one on the Taurus-Scorpio axis and one on the Aries-Libra axis, and this eclipse season that's coming up this month, that's kind of happening now, is also one on the Aries-Libra axis, one on the Taurus-Scorpio axis. So let me quickly give you the actual dates for these eclipses that I'm talking about. So the first one is October 14th, 2023. It is a solar eclipse happening at 21 degrees of Libra. This is a new moon, so the moon and the sun are both at 21 degrees of Libra, conjunct to the south node, which is a karmic release point for the entire collective. The transiting nodes act as a karmic destiny point and a karmic release point for the whole collective, so they kind of show us what energy we're meant to be taking in more of, embodying more fully, leaning into, which would be Aries energy right now. And then where we find the south node, where it's currently in Libra, That's an area of life where we're meant to release, let go of things, move away from that way of being. And these cycle back and forth. So it's not like this is true all the time, but for this period of time, we're leaning into Aries and we're leaning away from Libra. So that speaks more to valuing yourself as an individual and an independent entity and leaning away from partnership. So, you know, not necessarily leaving your partner, although in some cases, yes, literally leaving your partner, but maybe stepping back from any partnerships that you feel too enmeshed within and remembering that you're here as an individual on a solo journey that your spiritual journey is only your own and that as beautiful and necessary as compromise is sometimes you need to charge forth in your own direction you know and just value yourself you know you're good on your own you're enough on your own And you have something to offer all on your own. So lean into that energy and whatever in the realm of other people, of partners, of your attitudes towards compromise and diplomacy and likability and, you know, all of the things that Libra is very concerned with. What can you let go of in that area? You know, what do you need to let go of in that area? What can you pinpoint as something that is holding you back in some way? from being confidently and assertively yourself and being an independent person. And the nodes circle actually backwards through the zodiac. They're the only point or placement to do so. But so we're finishing up a Scorpio-Taurus cycle where the north node has been in Taurus and the south node has been in Scorpio. The nodes have fully moved into Aries and Libra at this point, but we still get one more eclipse along that last axis to kind of round things out, finish up the story, and give my Scorpio and Taurus people one last chance to survey the manifestations of their efforts over the course of the last 18 months. 
What has this last eclipse cycle done for your life? What have you released? What have you brought in? What have you manifested? This is a full moon lunar eclipse on October 28th at 5 degrees Taurus, opposing the sun at 5 degrees of Scorpio. So we've got that nice full moon opposition going. And for my Scorpio Taurus people, take a look at the Taurus realm of your life. The house that Taurus rules, any planets that are nearby to this eclipse at 5 degrees, and check in on how they're doing. And yeah, what's gone on over the course of the last 18 months? Because this is the final eclipse for you guys for a while. You'll be out of the hot seat. So what in the Scorpio realm of transformation, secrets, psychology have you released? And what in the Taurus realm have you increased? Ways that you're maybe honoring the earth and what it means to be a human being with a physical body. The Taurus-Scorpio axis is a really interesting one where like Taurus represents the biological, earthly, tangible, material reality and everything that that encompasses. And Scorpio is representative of psychological, mental states. The Taurus-Scorpio axis is one of the physical opposing the mental, psychological. So it's like... Since we saw the North Node in Taurus and the South Node in Scorpio and not the other way around, I think that for the past two years, the indication is that there is an emphasis on embracing more of the physical, biological realities of existence and prioritizing those, our physical needs for healthy food, shelter, clean water, air, and the need to increase our access to an experience of those things, and then a lessening, a release of some of the psychological states that we can trap ourselves in. And maybe releasing our attachment and emphasis and appreciation of some of the language that we've applied to those states. I think we've given names and language to psychological patterns and those have become kind of rigid and prevalent, rippling out into our society and I feel like there has been a calling to move away from those or to just give them less emphasis and to kind of take stock of what's around and focus on tending to our basic biological needs and beyond that, our needs for beautiful, luxurious experiences. Honestly, something's coming through here. You know, I talk about having depression and anxiety and between you and me, I've also diagnosed myself with about 10 other things because they've named these psychological patterns, right? And they have built up this manual of diagnostics and they claim to know, you know, about the knots in all of our heads and these neurotic psychological states that we get trapped in and we find ourselves here and then we look for help to institutions that we're told that we can trust and then they label us and we become attached to those labels and maybe we learn about them and in learning about them it helps us get control for a while and that's amazing that's great and then maybe it's not enough so we start looking in the same places for new labels that can cover you know our changing neurotic psychological states and explain them to us and before you know it, you're a crazy person who has so many 
mental problems you know how could you ever be normal and live a normal life and be happy and I don't know it can just get very negative very quickly I think if you apply too many of these labels to yourself and my personal opinion is that the way that they have delineated the patterns is not holistic in any way and so in order to address all of the different patterns and dynamics and needs of an individual person you end up with this like laundry list of ailments and diseases that you diagnose the person with and then the treatment options are quite varied and variable dependent on so many different factors that are almost all out of the individual's control and it can be a really depressing disempowering point of view to take on and exist from you know and like Oh, you know what I want to talk about is like the idea of narcissism too. Like, I don't think I'm a narcissist. That's one thing that I haven't diagnosed myself with personally. But of course, I went through a phase, you know, years ago as I was getting into my self-diagnosis journey where I was learning about narcissists. And, you know, I've definitely known some people in my life that kind of fit the pattern, you know, more than a few. And for a while, I was like eating up this content to the point where my algorithm kind of serves me up a lot of it on Instagram, at least. Like I get like a lot of like narcissist like infographics. So silly. But my attitude towards them has kind of changed over the past 18 months. I would say like I started getting this kind of information more than 18 months ago, you know, back in like the Trump era and taking it more seriously and having like less media literacy around reading some of this stuff especially when it comes to like psychological conditions and kind of thinking you know okay here are like easily identifiable hallmarks of like this type of person and here is the cause and kind of the root issues within the psyche that cause them to behave this way and then here are their tactics for coping and ways that they can impact me and ways that I can guard and defend against it and all that stuff, you know? And in guarding and defending myself against narcissists, I became a little bit of a nightmare person, you know? It's quite antisocial, the way that our culture really demonizes the idea of narcissism and tells you to engage with anybody who you've identified certain tendencies or behaviors in in a certain way that really strips them of their humanity and makes it seem like they're a different type of being from you, you know, who's not susceptible to all of the same spiritual and psychological ailments that you are, you know? It's a very um, anti-empathetic way of looking at other people. And I feel like at this point, the definition of narcissism, you know, when I first encountered it, it was something fairly specific. And now the little infographics I get, and I know I'm part of the problem because I'm clicking on these things and reading them, And if I don't want to see them, I need to stop. But alas, now when I read these infographics on Instagram and I hear people like Dr. Romani talking about narcissists, you know, the definition has really expanded to basically encompass anybody who's acted in any way that you don't agree with. And it's like, oh, I don't like the way that person behaved. Like, they're such a narcissist. And it's like every single person on this earth is selfish because they have to be because we all are here by ourselves on our own spiritual journey any connection that you have with another person 
is a gift and it's a choice that both of you have to make to continue engaging in a positive and productive way with each other's lives and journeys, you know? And if you're not here to uplift somebody and look out for them, then just turn away and like go do your own thing. Like, I don't know. I do feel like we're over diagnosing not only each other, but also ourselves with different psychological patterns and problems. And I think that if you get too attached to someone else's description of that pattern and what it will mean for you in your life, that that's a dangerous place to be where you are giving away a lot of your power. And Scorpio has to do with power as well. So yeah, I'm picking up on the fact that there has been like a big transference of power in society from people who can identify within themselves and others psychological dynamics that are problematic and that instead of having some type of empowering way to reflect and adjust and accommodate the changing needs of each of our dynamic psychological states that yeah basically by giving up our power due to our mental states and psychological profiles we're maybe denying ourselves the same ability to enjoy life that we might have otherwise we might be denying ourselves access to resources And like, this is a little bit of a light bulb moment for me, just talking into the mic right now. And it's times like these that I'm really grateful for this podcast and this opportunity to talk through my thoughts about these astrological happenings. And, you know, I can see how this recording session can be an event that enlightens me to a dynamic that I need to release and let go of. And, you know, a way that I need to adjust and change my behavior, you know, that there's something holding me back. And there's a way that I could set myself free and I could move forward more effortlessly. Before I had astrology to think about these kinds of things, I would be so resistant to the changes that were coming my way. And I would be not only resistant, but confrontational to the people that were attached situationally to these changes and developments. And one thing I've learned as I get older is it's just never worth it to confront someone else about an internal change that's happening within you. You're not responsible for anyone else's growth or anyone else's behavior. And what other people do, even if it's something they do to you or say to you, it's not about you. We are actually all on our own journey. We're all individuals flying solo, little Aries individual warriors traversing the lush Taurian earth in search of pleasure and joy and food and shelter and love and hugs. So let's be less caught up in the rules of society and who's playing along and who's breaking them and, you know, what's diplomatic and what's socially appropriate and what's going on inside my complicated, plagued mind, you know, And just try to simplify a little bit this eclipse season. Let's all try to simplify, come back to ourselves, look around, what's around you right now that you can be grateful for, what's something that you love, your pet, a delicious treat that you have saved for later, a beautiful piece of art that you've hung in your home to look at, the sun or moon in the sky and the earth beneath your feet holding you up. Look around you, find something to be grateful for. And remember that you are a spiritual being in a physical body on a lush green planet with so much around you to experience and enjoy. 
And then this eclipse season, take the opportunity to think about the social and psychological dynamics that may be holding you back from that essential truth and living in that light and going about your life in search of the experiences that are meant for you. And yeah, going further down that train of thought about Scorpio and Taurus and that axis and Taurus relating to the physical body and biological existence and our tangible needs and requirements and Scorpio ruling psychology and transformation and translation and occult studies and analysis of things that are mysterious and invisible and hidden to the naked eye and thinking about the release happening in Scorpio and the North Node having been in Taurus I'm making this connection and maybe this is relevant just for me or maybe it's relevant for you too but I'm making this connection that in terms of our physical well-being and our emotional and spiritual development in terms of the healing modalities we use in order to align us on the correct paths for ourselves that we should be moving away from psychoanalysis in a very general sense and moving toward having nurturing care practices for ourselves, fueling our bodies with healthy food from the earth, moving our bodies regularly, focusing on our physical form, our mobility, our health, and trying to live a life in harmony with the earth where we can enjoy the fruits of the earth as opposed to seeking answers from things like astrology or the DSM-5 or therapists or counselors or any of that stuff looking to other people to analyze our psychological and spiritual condition and make prescriptions for us I'm picking up the vibe that it might do us some good to focus on fulfilling our physical and material needs particularly those for healthy food and movement on a regular basis and time in the sun time outside in nature connecting with the earth, connecting with our own humanness, enjoying our bodies, and taking some of our focus back from analyzing our psychological patterns and the psychological patterns of those around us and trying to keep ourselves safe by being able to predict what's coming next. Even things like astrology are, as much as I advocate for it, distractions from being physically embodied and present and enjoying this current moment that we have present here on earth in our bodies in our fleeting temporary lives and personally i do feel like exercise and diet have a huge impact on my mental health and well-being which is not something that i was aware of until my late 20s I really de-emphasized the effect and the, the very real impact that having a poor malnourished diet and a lack of movement and a lack of sunlight could do to my psychological state and my overall experience of my life. So I actually do think that there's something real here that's a real takeaway from this past Scorpio-Taurus eclipse season. And it's complicated and it's something that we'll be continuing to unpack through different lenses and in different ways. But for this last Scorpio-Taurus eclipse happening on October 28th, think about ways that you can return to your body and your physical form and honor yourself in that way. And value yourself and place value on your physical health and the material aspects of your day-to-day. -day. How much time are you spending outside? How much movement are you getting? 
What are you eating for your three square meals? Are you nourishing yourself? Are you giving your body what your mind needs to feel safe and thrive? Are you taking care of yourself? Or have you been pathologizing yourself a little bit or pathologizing others in a way that divides you from other people, makes you feel scared and lonely and disempowered? You know, we can be honest with ourselves and we'll be better off for it. It's never too late to make a change. And as we continue on through this Aries-Libra eclipse cycle, think about the deals and agreements and partnerships that you've entered into with other people and be honest with yourself about whether or not those things enhance and fuel or stand in the way of the journey that you're on as an individual. Does anything need to be updated? I think a lot of that's already happening. And as hard as it is to see partnerships dissolve, you can also look at it as two people choosing themselves and removing themselves from a situation that denies them the agency that they need to move forward on their own path. Eclipses are hard. It's hard changes, hard lessons. It feels like loss and maybe sacrifice if you have that image of the bigger picture. But, you know, what's meant for you won't miss you. People say that. And I think I believe it. I think that what's meant for you will come around again and again until you meet it. And the most pain you can cause yourself, I think, comes from resisting the inevitable and resisting what's meant for you. Resisting the inevitable flow of change and progress. Resisting the reality of time and its limited nature. So I think try not to resist. Try to go with the flow. Try to trust that what's meant for you will find you. Try to honor yourself physically and as an individual being. And take comfort in knowing that the answer is less complicated than the situation that you're currently in and the solution is in simplifying coming back to the essential to the root to yourself less judgment towards who you are and the way that your mind works and the way that your body is and try to show yourself more love through the real practical ways that make a difference like building a routine that allows you to consistently receive the nourishment that you need and seeking out the pleasures of the world that are all around us available to all of us who can sense beauty find the beauty in your own life and put more energy into it so on this new moon solar eclipse in libra on october 14th set your intentions for how you're going to honor yourself as an individual and step forward with energy and zeal toward whatever lights up that spark of inspiration and life inside of you and makes you feel holy yourself. And on the full moon lunar eclipse in Taurus on October 28th, the final of the series, look at what's been manifested in your life in terms of your physical body and your psychological health. That story is coming to an end and so you can reflect over the eclipse periods over the past 18 months and see what you've manifested with those changes and make a final choice for now about what to release and what to embrace to set you up for success in the areas of life that Taurus and Scorpio rule in your chart for the next 9 to 18 years. And it's like instinctively thinking about the Scorpionic things that need to be released so that Taurian things can be embraced. 
I'm obviously, like I said, thinking about psychology and psychiatry and the different diagnostic patterns that we're working with as a society and how that's influencing our ability to relate to one another and to ourselves and the kind of judgments that that is causing us to make about ourselves and others. And at the same time, I'm also thinking about the food that we put into our bodies and the products that we put on our bodies, the supplements, the lotions, and just how much processing and transformation has been done to the, you know, earthly ingredients. The earth gives us so much nourishment in pure forms and then our society takes that and really, really transforms and transmutes that into something that often becomes harmful to us and counterproductive to what the initial ingredient was meant to do for us. You guys get what I'm saying. The food is poison. It's overprocessed. It's making us sick. It's making us lethargic and unhealthy, and it's impacting our mental health in a negative way, and it's taking power away from us. So, you know, seeing this eclipse cycle and, you know, intuiting from it that a return to the pure earthly products that we're meant to be utilizing you know, in raw and pure whole forms, leaning into eating well, eating from that category, moving our bodies in natural ways, regularly going outside, communing with nature, getting fresh air, getting sunlight, drinking a lot of clean water, and generally trying to simplify our lifestyles and get back to something that is more primal and natural in terms of a relationship between human and earth. I think it will be essential for us moving forward to do that to take our power back and to have enough power to move forward in the ways that we need to. I've been doing well with the exercise part of it, although I can always do better. I definitely have days where I don't get any movement and I don't go outside and I want to totally eliminate those. It's mostly when I'm editing though, but I just need to be better about managing my time so that I can get my time outside, get my time in the gym. And then what I really struggle with is cooking those whole foods and having healthy, simple recipes full of vegetables, fruits, and healthy proteins, healthy fats. Yeah. I really want to learn more about nutrition, and if I do, I will certainly share what I learn on the pod, but as it stands now, I have no expertise in nutrition, so if anyone else would like to advise me, let me know. I'm all ears and so curious about the kind of diets that people are on that work for them, that give them energy make them feel nourished and energized and vital and ready for anything in their day. I'm like always exhausted. I eat way too many processed foods from Trader Joe's. I'm lazy. I don't like cooking. No, I do like cooking. I shouldn't say I don't like cooking because I do. It's just that I don't like cooking in my kitchen. You know, I wish I had like a big chef's kitchen, all stainless steel and a dishwasher. (laughs) But, you know, it's important. So I'm going to take away... From this podcast that I need to really prioritize cleaning up my diet, eating less sugar, eating less processed foods, and eating more foods that are in a whole unprocessed state. Eating a balanced diet, eating at the right times, that's so key. And it's all trial and error, really, because I think our bodies are so different, our hormone profiles, it's so different for each person, but For me, I need to figure out what works for me and then stick to it. Oh yeah, and there's like a funny connection I'm making right now thinking about the Libra Aries axis and the Taurus Scorpio axis in terms of like eating and food and how when you get into a relationship, 
you eat a lot of your meals together and so you end up compromising with the other person and maybe you take turns doing so right but you are two different people with different caloric needs different nutritional needs but you're sharing all your meals together and compromising on what you need to thrive so that you can like have those meals together and that's just like one example one manifestation of how you make these small sacrifices that you like don't even notice in order to be in a relationship and like do all of the things that that entails and how that can like derail you from your own journey and what you need to do you know if you're like you're not getting the right nourishment because you're getting someone else's you know I don't know if that makes sense but to me it kind of does as just like one example of how you can like make a choice to honor yourself even like within your relationship like I'm not going to be leaving my husband because he needs to eat 5,000 calories a day and I don't but you know maybe making a commitment to myself that I'm going to honor my nutritional needs and take care of those and you know my husband is an adult who can like take care of his too and that it's not going to hurt our relationship to not be eating all the same foods together but we can be individuals honoring our own individual needs and doing what needs to be done to serve our own individual goals and empower us to move forward on our own journeys, you know? Different needs for different ends, but we're still together, you know? And it's like, yeah, so it's it's nothing so total, but it's like, it's little things like that. But when you start thinking about these archetypes and you let yourself keep thinking about them, sometimes you realize like, oh, I can make this small change and it would actually make a huge difference. Like if I was nourishing myself appropriately for my body and my physical needs, that might make my life a lot easier and I might be capable of more. Anyway, I've talked way too much about these eclipses, really having thoughts and realizing things. But we need to start talking about the topic at hand, the next quadrant of the birth chart, the second quadrant, the fourth, fifth, and sixth houses. The second quadrant starts with the Imam Koali, which is the cusp of the fourth house, one of the four main angles that divides up the chart and provides the tent poles of the framework for our entire birth chart. You remember the first quadrant and the first house starts with the ascendant, also called the rising. Second quadrant, we begin at the Imam Koali. The Imam Koali is found at the very bottom of the chart, the lowest point. It represents your ancestral lineage, the family that you come from, and the energy that we inherit from our family of origin at the time of our birth. And it denotes the beginning of the fourth house, the fourth house being a cardinal water house, naturally ruled by cancer and the moon home emotions family are the three real keywords for this house this is the first water house that we encounter in the chart the water houses are a little bit unique because they are where we connect to realms outside of our physical reality the fourth eighth and twelfth are the water houses and anyone with a strong emphasis in their chart on any of these three houses is going to be more in tune with psychic wavelengths than the average person. Some people are just more sensitive to the invisible, spiritual, emotional, psychic realms. And we can kind of see who those people are and confirm that kind of sensitivity by looking at the 4th, 8th, and 12th houses in our charts and seeing what we find there. If you have a cluster of energy or a strong aspect pattern in these houses, it's very likely that you're going to be picking up on information 
through psychic and intuitive channels and yeah you're likely to have a much more active inner life and a strong connection to your intuition that is kind of a driving force behind your experience of life astrologers also say that the fourth house will relate to one of your parents and different types of astrologers actually disagree about which parent it is so it's something that you'll have to determine in your own chart for me the fourth house clearly correlates to my mother and the 10th house clearly correlates to my father oh yeah it's kind of split along those lines where the fourth house will represent one of your parents the 10th house will represent the other parent so yeah in my chart it's really clear that the fourth house is my mother and the 10th house is my father but i also see in the fourth house shades of my father's ancestral lineage and probably my mother's as well the fourth house is definitely the heavy hitter in terms of ancestry and family and the energy that you receive and inherit from those people at the time of your birth and inheritance received later in life right like at the time of a family member's passing that is in the eighth house domain so the next water house which we'll discuss in the next episode but yeah all the water houses have kind of related themes and the fourth house specifically deals with your early life your family life and the people who've preceded you in birth your childhood the house you grow up in and your kind of emotional demeanor and emotional state which as we know has a lot to do with your genetics as well as the circumstances and environment of your early childhood years and early development so all of that is fourth house stuff the fourth house also speaks to the home that you will build and create your physical home and the type of environment that you need to feel emotionally stable and secure what needs to be a part of your retreat your personal sanctuary your home should be a place that nurtures you and that provides a safe space for you to explore your emotions and feel your feelings and deal with that side of your life so the fourth house speaks to all these things and if you are a fourth house person you're going to be kind of cancerian in nature very emotional probably a homebody you'll probably put a lot of effort and care into making your home a nourishing space that supports you and supports your family members and can be kind of a soft and cradling space for the people that you love it's domestic and concerned with emotions and roots and family and it tells you a lot about the energy that you start life out with that isn't necessarily inherently your own but that does come from those familial influences so if you think of the first house as being you in a really pure sense and the sun as also speaking to a pure essence of self then you can think of the fourth house as being that nurture element you know the first house is your nature the fourth house is your nurture and how do those speak to each other and what kind of person does that kind of create if you have your north node in the fourth house it means that creating a safe and stable home environment for yourself is really important you're somebody who is meant to spend a lot of time and energy over the course of your life getting to know yourself on a deep emotional level exploring your inner worlds and potentially exploring your family ancestry as well to gain a better sense of the energy that you've inherited and are carrying forth into the world and what the best way to implement that for your own emotional healing and the healing of your family line could be if you have your north node in the fourth house which would put your south node in the 10th 
It means that while you may feel a natural sense of comfort in focusing on your career and your public-facing image, you're really meant to focus on the home and family area of your life and create a safe space to dive into your emotional world and that there's a lot of potential spiritual development for you in pursuing that and in prioritizing that over your career when necessary. Your private family life and private emotional life should always come first for your best spiritual success. The career stuff will come naturally to you. It won't be a problem. It won't be like sacrificing that, but it may feel less comfortable to prioritize your home life and your emotional life. And the more you seek communion with yourself in that area, the more active your spiritual growth will be. Also learning to rely on your intuition instead of your understanding of the structure and rules of the world and a sense of authority that you get from having a great grasp on that. With this placement, you're likely to be very ambitious and have a strong grasp of how to achieve power and authority in your desired domain. But North Node in the fourth suggests that taking a more intuitive approach to life will serve you best in the long run and getting in touch with your emotions and your intuition and prioritizing your private home and family life where you can explore those things is the best avenue for you to achieve spiritual growth and development. Okay, next up, the fifth house. The fifth house is succeedant fire associated with the fixed fire sign Leo and ruled by the sun. The fifth house is the house of fun, pleasure, joy, creation, vitality. It's the house of children. So any children that you have are associated with this house, both human children and your creative visions and ideas that you bring into fruition and manifest tangibly in the world. The fifth house rules our hobbies and our free time, our leisure and pleasure. Sex for fun and procreation fall in this house. Sex is actually another thing that astrologers have different opinions about. A lot of people associate it with the eighth house, the house of intimacy and merging, which again we'll discuss more in depth next episode. And I do definitely see their point and how sex can be an avenue for intimacy and merging and bonding with a partner. So I definitely don't disagree with the line of thinking there. But for me, sex so clearly falls into the fifth house. I mean, it's literally the house of procreation, fun, and pleasure, as well as romance and dating. So definitely sex is a fifth house activity. Any kind of art making or performance is ruled by the fifth house. It's the house of creativity and drama, naturally ruled by Leo, the most dramatic fire sign of the zodiac, and the sign of acting, theater, playfulness, and just pure vitality. Being ruled by the sun gives this house so much energy and lightness. It's a real bright spot in the chart. So if you have planets here, consider yourself lucky. This is a blessed and happy domain. And to have a lot of your personal energy here means that you're here to embody that kind of lightness and vitality and share it with other people and channel it into creative projects or raising children or whatever it is that lights up that spark in you. The house of joy and fun, this house rules sports, theater, really any kind of extracurricular activity that's just for fun and pleasure and to use your body in a way that's vital and active and social and creative. The fifth house is a great house. 
If you have your North Node in this house, it means that you're meant to focus on pleasure, joy, and bringing your creations into being. It can indicate that part of your karmic journey involves having children, or that you'll find a significant amount of spiritual fulfillment in raising children of your own and teaching them about the beauty of life and how to have fun and enjoy themselves on the journey. North Node in the 5th people have South Node in the 11th, so there is an emphasis here on leaning into your individual creative endeavors and individual strengths and moving away from participation within group endeavors. While you're somebody who probably does really well and maybe even feels naturally drawn to working within a group or a large team and you're familiar with the benefits and the potentials and possibilities of working in that way, this time around, you're meant to explore what you can create as an individual and pursuing solo creative projects and taking responsibility for your creations then for yourself as a creative force is what's going to open up the real magic for you. The sixth house is a cadent earth house, naturally ruled by Virgo and Mercury. And the sixth house is the house of health, service, daily routine. Being Virgo's natural domain, it deals with everything to do with organizing and scheduling your life to support your health and your ability to be of service to others. So your workout routines, your diets, your day job and work habits, any systems that you create to structure and support your lifestyle, scheduling, daily routines, habits, your pets fall into this category. The sixth house is a very practical, tangible, earthy house that has to do with the material plane and all of the responsibilities and duties that are required of us to manage our lives here on earth. It opposes and forms an axis with the 12th house which is a completely intangible house. So you can think of it as like the complete opposite of the 12th house, intangible, spiritual, psychic. The sixth house is very grounded, earthy, material, practical. The sixth house is also associated with your physical health. So any health issues that come up or healthy habits that you pick up to support better health, workout and fitness routines, things like physical therapy and mobility, training. So it's kind of the house of strengthening yourself on the physical plane so that you can be of service and give to others where you have the capability. The things you do on a day-to-day -day basis to make yourself useful. And if your north node is in this house, it means that those practical concerns, your day-to-day -day responsibilities, duties, routines, that that's where you're going to find fulfillment of your soul purpose, being of service to others on a day-to-day -day basis, finding ways to devote yourself to service, and taking proper care of yourself so that you are able to show up in that capacity day after day. That's going to be the great challenge and the great reward of your life. North node in the sixth house has a south node in the twelfth, which suggests that you are a very intuitive, mystical, spiritual person by nature. You're somebody who can easily tap into the realm of collective unconscious and conjure up all kinds of dreams and fantasies and visions. But you may be someone who struggles to stay grounded on the material plane and bring those visions to life. So with North Node in the Six, it suggests that for you, focusing on the tangible, practical realities of the day-to-day, -day, focusing on your routine, 
your physical wellness, being of service to the people in your life and people around you and whoever it is that you can help in the world, and finding ways of organizing your dreamy reality and giving it a more tangible form, finding ways to bring your fantastic ideas into existence, into the real world, working with them on a day-to-day basis, organizing your life and your routines to support those big dreams that you have, that your soul journey is about getting more comfortable with being a human being with a body and responsibilities on the physical plane, and that leaning into organization and strategizing and focusing on the details is going to help you fulfill your soul purpose and make your dreams come true. South Node in the 12th suggests that you might be somebody who kind of disappears and self-isolates and leans into escapism when times are tough and that your great challenge comes from staying grounded in reality, focusing on the details of what's within your control, making choices that contribute to incremental improvements and not self-sacrificing but finding ways to take care of your physical and emotional needs so that you can rise above and show up in your life and take care of everything that's on your plate and on your to-do list and just bring your sensitive, dreamy nature down to earth where it can do more good for other people. The secret here is channeling your creativity into a routine that you can lean on to help you perform that magic of bringing your dreamy visions into the material world. And something else really key that I want to remind you of here, if you are someone with North Node in the sixth house, is that service to others has to come from a place of service to self. You must remember to pour from an overflowing cup, lest you deplete yourself and become useless to the people who need you. Self-sacrifice is not an effective strategy for helping others. And so with North Node in the sixth, there is a practical need to prioritize yourself, your physical and mental well-being, to take care of yourself and provide yourself with all of the resources that you need to thrive. And then from that place, seek out ways that you can be of service to others. And your life will open up in beautiful ways if you can figure out how to structure your life and your daily routine in a way that serves you first and leaves you with enough leftover that you can give to other people. I know that the giving for North Node in the 6th and for people with heavy 6th house placements, giving and serving others can bring a lot of energy to you and can be such a positive thing in your life. But there is a limit to how much we can give of ourselves before we're drained. And I don't want anybody listening to this podcast to suffer from burnout trying to be a good person and give and take care of other people. Your first job is to take care of yourself, build yourself up into a powerful being, and then use your power for good to help other people. That's the secret sauce and the main lesson that comes from the 12th house, south node, 6th house, north node, directional axis. All right, guys, that's all for today. I'm really glad that we're doing this and having this conversation about the houses because already, as we've talked about just the first six, the bottom hemisphere of the chart, I feel like we're tapping into so many key concepts and different dynamics about how the different aspects of astrology interplay, how the different domains kind of fit together into one cohesive whole, and how everything kind of 
dances around the chart and throws things into and out of balance and adds nuance and dynamism to the different concepts that are represented within astrology. And I just feel like, yeah, now talking about the houses, getting the framework of the chart down, talking about the natural rulers and the planetary rulers and how everything kind of fits together on a theoretical level, it's just gonna allow us to have much better conversations about astrology moving forward. So thank you for listening. Next week, we will pick back up with the next quadrant, and we will also talk about the two hemispheres of the chart, north and south, and get into an ancient astrological concept called sect, and talk briefly about diurnal versus nocturnal sect, and how to figure out which one you are and what that means for your chart. We're covering a lot of ground on these eps, so I applaud you for your tenacity in bearing with me and i promise that all of these concepts are going to come back we're going to keep discussing these things discuss them in conversation with each other discuss the houses as axes more and how things kind of flow and work as a whole thank you for being here i appreciate you i hope you have a great couple of weeks until i talk to you next time the episode schedule might get a little bit funky this October into November because I just have a lot coming up and I'm going to be traveling. I'm actually taking a trip to Japan. For those of you who listened to the episode that I did with Eli, we had a conversation about traveling and how I've never been to Asia, but I was so curious to visit and see the megacity lifestyle and ride a bullet train. And that's all happening for me in just a few weeks. I'm so excited. Eli and I are going to Japan and there's just a lot of other stuff going on right now too. So just a fair warning, things might be a little bit off schedule over the next month or so, but I'm going to do my best to stay on track with episodes, but it's possible that the schedule might not be as consistent as it has been in the past. So if that's the case, I want to thank you in advance for bearing with me and just let you know that we will definitely be back to our regular programming, Hail Saturn, the 12 Houses, by mid-November at the latest, everything will be back on schedule. So thanks so much again. I hope you guys have a beautiful fall and I will talk to you soon. Bye.